I'm excited because we get to teach on Luke again. Last week we started a brand new sermon series on Dr. Luke, and we're going systematically and verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, it was fun. And we're going to do a deep Bible study here. So um, speaking of Bible, how many of you guys brought your Bibles tonight? Can I see any Bibles? Okay, so we got a few. Any, any Bibles in the house? Awesome. Good deal. I brought my Bible. I put it in my neighbor's That's too bad. I guess you're going to have to look at someone else's Bible. Or you can look on the PowerPoint or your handout. Hey, I want to encourage you guys to bring your Bibles with you when you come because as we go through this, and I know some of you guys are doing it on your phone, and that's totally fine, but I do want to encourage you to actually bring your Bibles because it does make a difference when you can actually take some notes in there. See, if we go through this, and we're going to go through this for about a year or so, and then you can reread this anytime, and as you put some notes in there, you're going to really learn some stuff if you go through it over and over, and I think it's going to help you. So I want to kind of make sure that you guys bring your Bibles and that we read from the Word of God together, not just rely on the PowerPoint or the handout. Is that okay with you guys? Speaking of studying the word, I thought this was a good time to bring up again why we actually come to 5979. Some of you guys, you may have heard this. Some of you guys, this may be brand new, but we actually have a motto at 5979, and this is why we come at, to 5979, and that is this, love God, study scripture, pursue truth. That's really what we want to do. Every time that we come here, we want to love God, study scripture, and pursue truth. Loving God obviously happens in our worship time. Studying scripture is about to happen. And then pursuing truth is, I don't know about you, but I, when I read the word, and there's something that jumps out at me and that says, you know, like, hey, this is something that you can do in your life. I want to apply it. I want to pursue truth. I want to put it into action. So that's the whole idea. Every time we come here, John, every time we, we come in and come on a Sunday night and we do the service, this is what we want you guys to go for. Loving God, studying scripture, pursuing truth. How many of you guys can do that with me tonight? as we dive in. Can you guys do that? Let's dive in, and let's pray, and then we're going to read and jump into verse 26. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is true and that is alive, and I pray that it will come alive in us tonight. As we read through it, I pray that your words will just illuminate our hearts, that will change our lives, and Holy Spirit, I declare my dependence upon you, and I ask that you would remove me from behind this pulpit. I need you. Speak through me tonight. Change our lives. And we pray that in your son's name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick it up at chapter 1, verse 26. And you're going to feel almost like that you're going to have like a deja vu kind of moment. Because it's, it's very similar to what we talked about last week. Last week, we had a story of a couple of people. How many of you guys remember what we talked about last week? The people that were involved in the story. Anybody? Okay. Say what? Okay, what else? That, that was not like really, but it was good, good, good chance. Good. Who did we talk about last week? Luke, okay. John's parents, okay, what are their names? Yes, okay. <laughs> good job. Zachariah and Elizabeth, awesome, good job. Okay, who else did we talk about? There was an angel in there. Gabriel, all right. So those were like kind of the four people that we talked about, and then Luke obviously being the one that is the narrator or the one that is telling us the story. And as we look through the story today, you're going to see some very interesting parallels. As a matter of fact, a lot of the stuff that happened last week is literally happening again this week. And in the end, as we kind of come closer to the last few verses, you will see that Luke, the author actually, will put those two scenarios together and they'll all become one. And it's interesting because both of those sons that are born, 
One is John, and the other one we're going to find out, obviously, is Jesus. And both of these sons are born, and there's one purpose behind them both, and that is to really bring the kingdom of God to earth. John is the forerunner of the king, Jesus, and he's announcing in. He's kind of the herald and the, and the prophet, and then Jesus comes and takes over as the king. So the time period here is the end of Herod's reign, and this is about 37 to 4 B.C., and Zechariah was the priest, and we met him last week, and he was one of the priests of about 20,000 uh, that were there. And every priest served in the temple twice a year for one week period. So out of the 52 weeks, Zechariah only got to serve two weeks. And then at that moment, at that time, he actually got picked to burn incense on the altar. And then he walks into the temple, he burns incense to the altar, and there he meets Gabriel, and we know the whole story, everything happens, and Gabriel announces, you're going to have a son, Zechariah is in unbelief and disbelief, and he's questioning him, and so Gabriel basically says, well, you're just going to be quiet, you're going to be mute, and um, the sign that you're going to have, by the way, the moment that your son is born, you're going to be able to speak again, but you're going to be mute because you didn't believe. And then he walks out, Sarah, I mean, Elizabeth gets pregnant, and that's kind of where we're going to pick it. Up. So here we go, like in verse 26, this is where we're starting off. In the sixth month, in other words, this is kind of on Elizabeth's time frame. She is six months pregnant. And by the way, the muteness of Zechariah, and this is kind of like an underlining theme that is going on in the book of Luke, especially in the first two chapters. The muteness of Zechariah was actually a sign, and the sign was, I will bring my promises to pass. Every time there's a promise, you can see, and we will look into this in a moment, that there is a promise fulfilled. And you will see this over and over. There's a promise and a promise fulfilled. The promise and a promise fulfilled. The promise and a promise fulfilled. And what God is really saying, and this is the bottom line of the sermon I'm going to give it to you up front, is that my promises a yes and amen. And you will see this here in Luke, and he's going to make this very, very clear. Again, in the sixth month, in other words, again, six months pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, who's Gabriel? An angel. An angel? Okay, that's good. What else do we know about Gabriel? He's incredibly, he's incredibly strong. I would definitely agree with that. And he's probably pretty tall and big, too. Actually, he is nice, but he's an archangel. Is that what you're kind of looking for? Yeah, he's, he's one of the big guys. He's a big shot. Definitely, yeah. He's, so he's pretty powerful. What else do we know about Gabriel? Who did Gabriel talk to in the Bible? There's actually three people that Gabriel talked to. All right, very good. Daniel, awesome. Who else did he talk to? Obviously, the one that we're about to read here. And last week, he talked to Zechariah. All right, there you go. And so this whole thing happens. Gabriel is speaking to someone to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And I want to show this to you on a map because I know you guys are like, okay, I don't even know what this all looks like. So I want you guys to put it on the board there for me, if you will, PowerPoint people. And I'm going to show this to you because we are in Galilee tonight. Last week, we were actually in Judea. And then you have this area in the middle, which is called Samaria. And I want to explain this really quick because Judea is kind of where the, the, everything is happening. This is the cultural area, all the intellectuals, the educated people, they're kind of in this area. Then you have Samaria, no one really wants to be in Samaria, no real Jew does want to be there because they're half Jews. And so we don't really want to be there. And then this is really like the more common people kind of area, and this is where we are today. Again, last week we were in Judea, this week we are in Galilee, and we're going to pick it up, and then it says there in the next verse, if you put it up there for me, it says this. <laughs> to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we have Gabriel here. He's coming to a town in Nazareth, and he's talking to this virgin named Mary. Now, this is interesting. This is a prearranged marriage by two people, Joseph and Mary. 
How many of you guys like prearranged marriage? Anybody? Anybody up for that? Anybody? Okay. So I can tell your parents. I can tell your parents that, you know what? Mom, Dad, Ezra told us that he would be totally okay with you prearranging his marriage. In other words, they're going to pick your maid and you don't have a choice. You good with that? We'll make a note of that and call your parents this weekend. Okay. So this is what's happening right here. So they're pledged to be married. And then it says this interesting thing that, you know, like they make an emphasis on, by the way, Mary was a virgin. Well, I mean, it's a big deal, right? In our culture, it's a big deal. And back in the day, that was the norm, but it was very important. As a matter of fact, some, a lot of times, you had to prove that you were still a virgin. And obviously, you can prove that only on your wedding night, and we'll just leave it with that. But, you know, that's, that was really important. And it's almost like this is like a badge of honor for Mary that, you know what, I had self-control, I was morally faithful, and she had this batch of honor. In our society, isn't it funny how, you know, you read the Bible and then everything kind of gets turned over in our society. In our society, the batch of honor in regards to relationship is, man, how many people did you sleep with? Isn't that weird? And back in the day, it was like, man, it was an honor, a batch of honor to say, you know what, I, was, I kept myself pure for my spouse. Today, it's like, yeah, man, I scored this weekend. Really? I mean, I mean, I know we, I, you may not talk like this, but you have friends that do. I know we all have friends and we're in high school, you know, in public school. And so it, it's funny how this generation, you know, like the, the world comes in and turns everything upside down and says, this is the way it ought to be. And if you don't have this, then you almost look down upon. See, I think of myself and the fact that my wife and I did not sleep together before we got married and that we could say that we were virgins. I, I have that as a badge of honor. And I will be proud to one day tell my, my kids when they understand it. Right now they're two and five, so this really does mean a whole lot to them. But when they understand it, and I can say to them, you know what? Daddy and Mommy, they, they kept themselves pure. And they were virgins when they got married. I think that should be the norm. In our society, again, a lot of times it's not, but I think it should be the norm. Wouldn't it be great if all you guys make up your mind right now and say, you know what? No matter who's going to come my way, no matter how hot she's going to be and what she's going to offer and what's going to happen, I'm going to keep myself pure. Ladies, no matter what the guy is going to say and how he's going to woo you and romance you, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm not going to go down that route. Wouldn't it be great? This would be a great place to say amen. Amen? So you guys know what amen means, right? So be it, let it be so. So in other words, when you just said amen, you just signed a contract that you're going to do this for the rest of your life till you get married, right? Amen. You're going to be pure and you're going to, that's awesome. Well, let me say this. Honestly, you won't regret it. Listen up, young people, you won't regret it. You may, you may get made fun of because you are still a virgin. And you know what, that even when I was in high school, yeah, that was kind of weird when you told people, you know, you were still a virgin. But you know what? You're not going to regret it. When you get married, and they get married, and they have slept around, and their marriage falls apart, and then they look at you and be like, why, why is your marriage not falling apart? Well, I kept myself for that one, and I'm going to be with that one for the rest of my life. So they were formally engaged, those two, Mary and Joseph, and what that really means, they were, they were pledged to each other, and being pledged meant that within a year, usually, you would get married. So there's two steps to this formal engagement that they had. Number one was the formal engagement actually included a contract and an exchange of a bridal price. In other words, you had to pay a price for the bride. That's interesting, right? And then the second one is, then in about, a, within a year, you would actually 
get married. And this was such a big deal. This was such a binding agreement between Mary and Joseph by their parents that the only way to get out of this contract was to actually divorce that person. In other words, they were already really married, even though they were not having the benefits of marriage. So this was a big deal. They were pledged. They were betrothed to each other. They were it for the future. And this is interesting now. Do you guys know how old Mary was? She was 14 or under. 14 or younger. So in other words, Mary was either 14, 13, or 12 as she was pledged to be married. Now, we think of this and be like, oh, my gosh, that was like me two, three years ago. If you're a girl, obviously, it's a guy that doesn't work. But, you know, like, and you're like, that, that's, how is that even, I can't even fathom that. Well, see, we live in different times, don't we? The whole term teenager and all that kind of stuff didn't exist 60, 70 years ago. That was not part of society. When you were 12 and 13, you were pulling your weight. You were going to work. You were doing stuff that everybody else was doing. You were basically an adult, and you worked. See, you have something in your, in your you know, system that, that nobody else really had. I mean, I had it too, but you know, 50, 60 years ago, that wasn't really part of it. And that brings up an interesting point. So Mary was 12, 13, or 14, and she obviously changed the world being that age. Can we change the world as we're that age? We can, can't we? See, I think that makes a good point because some of us, we think, well, we're, we're 12, we're 13, we're 14, we're 15, 16, 17, maybe even 18, and people tell us, well, just have fun, play video games. Go to school, you know, figure out what you want to do in life, you know, take another 10 years till you get there. Just, just have fun. And I think God is saying, no, no, no. I don't care how old you are, I can use you. I don't care whether you're 15, 16, 17, 70, or 80. I can use you, and I want to use you right now. Good preaching. Wouldn't it be great if we actually did this and not just be like, yeah, that's good, I like that, yeah, yeah. And then you walk out of me like, well, let's go and play some video games. No, you can change the world. You really can. You can't, you know, like, yeah, you can beat the next level, and that's kind of fun, I'm sure, but, you know, wouldn't it be greater if you actually do something and change the world? Back in the days, you had people that were 12, 13, 14, and they were commanders of ships, and they had people underneath them. I mean, this is crazy when you think about it. But you know what? I think we can do it as well. In verse 28, it says this after... We read verse 27, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, that's a great phrase. The Lord is with you. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that, right? God is with you. That's exciting. Verses that come to mind is like, you know, if God is for you, who can be against you? Too bad that they didn't have that verse because that's New Testament, so that really couldn't come to mind. But anyway, um, but what does it really mean the Lord is with you? See, there was another guy in the Old Testament, and, and of him was said as well that the Lord was with him. And it's interesting because that guy was betrayed. He was uh, thrown into jail. He was accused falsely. And his brothers betrayed him and he was sold. And, and his name was Joseph. And then it says, all these things are listed and says, and the Lord was with him. I don't want God to be with me like that. You know what I mean? That's, that's not what I sign up for, right? You're like, when, when God says, the Lord is with you, I want it to be like, happy, great, everything is awesome, and, and I, I get everything that I want. But see, when we sign up for being a Christian, it is true that God is with us, but that does not mean everything is going to go our way. And so I wonder whether Mary was thinking, what, what does this really mean? And as a matter of fact, the next response is kind of interesting here. It says, Mary was greatly troubled. <laughs> I would be too, because, you know, you kind of don't know what's coming next. As his words, and wonder what kind of greeting this might be. Have you been called in a principal office? I have. It's not fun. 
And, and I deserve to be called in there a couple of times, so I really did some dumb stuff. But you know, when you walk in there, and usually they just call you, and you really don't know why they're calling you in. So you're thinking, am I in trouble? Is this good? This is one of those, like, you know, Gabriel is talking to Mary here, and she's like, am I in trouble? Is this going to be a good thing? And then he says this, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, what you have to understand is that Mary at this point was a nobody. She was nothing. She was 12 years old. She didn't have any status in society. She was a woman. She didn't have a kid. And the way that you had a status as a woman was when you had a son. So she really was nobody. And the angel came and elevated her and said, hey, you are highly favored. You have found favor in the eyes of God. Now, what did Mary do to get this? Did she do anything special? No, the text doesn't indicate that at all. It's just that God chose her and said, you know what, you are highly favored. God chooses people to be highly favored sometimes. And you know what, whenever something happens to you, as a Christian, I always think about this. When God does something, it's like, you know, I, I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to deserve being saved and being able to say, you know what, I can, I can call heaven my home. I didn't do anything for that. It was just favor by God. Now Mary, Mary was chosen by God out of all the people of Israel, out of all the ladies that were eligible here, that were virgins. Now this is interesting, and I put this in your note, it says this, to be chosen by God often means at one and the same time a crown of joy and a cross of sorrow. And if you think about it, because, I mean, this was huge, this was awesome. Mary had, I mean, she was going to be the mother of Jesus, as we'll find out in a second. But at the same token, she also had a cross to bear because she was going to see her son die a cruel death on the cross. I think as Christians, when you sign up for the Christian walk, you have to understand this, young people, that you know what? You have a crown of joy. It, there's nothing more exciting than you, than you being able to say, Jesus is my best friend, and I'm spending the rest of my life with him in heaven. But there's also a cross to bear. And I think we forget that part a lot of times in Christianity, and especially in America, where we think everything is going to be great, and if nothing is great, then, then God is not with me. God never promised us that we're going to have a great life. He promised us heaven, but not a great life. It's going to be an awesome life, but in a great life, I mean like, you know, having everything that we want and living the American dream, that's not, that's not the gospel. And that's the American version of the gospel that is absolutely false and not biblical. So we have a crown of joy and a cross of sorrow. And then we read here in verse 31, I love this, and it's, again, this goes back to last week. It's kind of like it's the same thing. There's an angel announcing the birth of a son, and here's Gabriel talking to Mary this time around, and before it was Zechariah. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Once again, great, you know, you don't have to worry about the name. You got the name already picked out for you. Um, not a lot of work, which is great. And then they really upped the game here. I mean, this is, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. What? Who was David? King David, right? Back in the Old Testament. I mean, he was one of the most powerful, most, you know, prosperous kings. And then it says this, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That's awesome. I mean, your son is being born, and you're basically being told, by the way, you're going to be a queen because, you know, your son is going to be king. And, I mean, it's just you're going to have awesome things. This is pretty, pretty cool, right? And then Mary's like, how will this be? She asked the angel, since I am a virgin, which is a great question. I mean, you know, I'm sure she knew how babies were made, so that was not the question here. I don't think that was like, how will this be? But the question was like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really married. I mean, I'm, I'm pledged 
but, but obviously we, we won't have you know, sexual intimacy till we really, so how is this gonna happen? Which is a great theological question, which leads us to the virgin birth of Jesus, which is obviously a big deal. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. See, the virgin birth, I'm not gonna go into theology with you because that would be crazy and it would bore us all and, and we don't wanna do that, but the virgin birth is important because it shows right from the start that there's a special divine involvement. In other words, the Father, God the Father is involved in this. God the Holy Spirit is involved with his son Jesus as he comes to earth. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was set to be barren is in her sixth month. In other words, Mary didn't know this about Elizabeth, and Gabriel is telling her all this about Jesus, and he's saying, by the way, in case you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm gonna give you a sign. And that sign is that Elizabeth is gonna be with child, and she was barren, and you know this, and you can go and pretty much check it out if you want to be. For nothing is impossible with God. And I love her response. Her response is, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. What incredible character she displayed here. She said, hey, by the way, yeah, that's okay. Do whatever you want, and it will be like that. Last week, we had a priest, and when Gabriel talked to the priest, the priest answered in doubt, and he was not really ready for that, for a prayer that he had prayed. I mean, he had asked for a son, and then when the answer came, he wasn't ready to receive the answer. A priest says no and is not quite sure and gets mute, yet there's this young lady, 12, 13, 14 years old, and she's saying, hey, let it be done. Wouldn't it be great if we could be like that? Like, I want to be like that young Mary says, you know what, let it be done. If you, Holy Spirit, speak to me. If Jesus, if you're talking to me, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Another interesting fact is that she uses the word servant. And a couple of, you know, last week ago, again, we talked about Luke. And as he was talking about the account and everything as he was writing, he was talking, he used the term servant for the apostles. And Mary is putting herself in again, like, I'm, I'm a doulas, I'm a bond slave of Jesus. I'm a servant here, and I'm okay with that. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country, of Judea. Again, Galilee was up there, Judea was down here, so it was about a three to five uh, day travel. And she's going to Mary to kind of see whether the promise really is true. And here's the thing, God keeps his promises, doesn't he? He always does. And again, we talked about this earlier, there's a promise and a promise fulfilled, a promise and a promise fulfilled, and you will see this right here. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here there's two promises instantly fulfilled. Promise number one is the angel said, by the way, I'm telling you all this about Jesus, and if you don't believe me, go and check out, you know, Elizabeth. And so she goes, she sees she's pregnant, so she knows that obviously what the angel said, it is going to happen. And then there's something else that happens. The baby leaps in the womb. And if you think about back, there were some promises made to Zechariah by Gabriel six months prior or five months prior to this, and that was this, that, you know what? Your son is gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. And we can see the promise fulfilled right here where it says, you know what, he leaped in his womb. Now who was John, the guy that was about to be born? He was John the Baptist, right? He was the forerunner for Jesus. He was saying, hey, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, repent. And even in his womb, he pointed to Jesus. And I thought that was really neat that he did that. God always delivers on his promises. And it's almost like one of those things where Luke is saying, hey, by the way, John was excited to be in the presence of Jesus because he started dancing in the womb. And the question that I would have for us is like, hey, are we, are we excited about being in the presence of Jesus? Do we dance around? Are we having fun when we're in his presence? Or is it just like, ah, it's Jesus. Who cares? Right? I want to be excited about Jesus. 
I mean, if a baby in the womb can leap when Jesus comes, surely we can too. So I don't know about you, but I want even 2015, I want it to be a year when we come into the presence of God that we always jump up and down, that we do. Not because we want to say we jumped up and down, but because Jesus is in the place. Verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. That is so cool. That is so awesome. You know what? We sang a lot of Christmas songs earlier, and I was really impressed with Pastor Aaron again for not messing up the song. Um, you know, yes, that one exactly. I can't even, don't even know the name of it. But it was pretty impressive that he could do it all, and it was fun. And you know what? It's Christmas season, and, and one of my favorite Christmas songs is actually Mary, did you know? And so I kind of figured this was a great time to do it, and, uh, and Jaden, you so owe me.
Man, I love that song. Such a good rendition, too. I wonder whether Mary knew. I wonder whether she really knew what was going to happen and who Jesus was going to be. Even though it was prophesied to her and told her, I wonder whether she really un- truly understood. You know what's funny about this video? Those guys are not Christian whatsoever. They're not, no. And it's funny how people that are not Christian will pick up a song. Did you guys listen to the lyrics of this song? I mean, it is powerful. It is scripture all in it. It's amazing. And how we can sing that kind of a song, it just, it amazes me. And it's even anointed when it's a song. And you know what? There's truth in it. He really is who he says that the Bible, that the Bible says he is and who Luke is. Do what? No, let's, I'm going to get to that in a second here. So let's go ahead and read because right now I'm going to, you're already thinking like it's not misspelled. No, it's right. And I know it's weird, but I'll, I'll explain it to you. See, remember what I said earlier about the fact that you are not too young to, to do something in the kingdom of God? See, we're about to read the last few verses here that we're going to cover today, and this is significant because this is Mary's song, or the song of Mary, also known as the Magnificat. And I know it's funny, it's a theological term, um, and really, the thing here is, the point that I'm trying to make as I'm about to read this to you is this, that this thing is still being looked at and, you know, looked over and researched by theologians, and still today, to this day, we look at this, and this was a 12, a 13, or a 14-year-old lady, like girl, that... All of a sudden, out of Galilee, she was really not that educated, comes up with this thing. And as we read this, you will see, this does not sound like a 14-year-old at all. Actually, it sounds like someone much more mature than that. Listen to what she says. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abram and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, that does not sound like a 12, 13, or 14-year-old, right? But it's extremely powerful. And the point is that you can make a difference in this generation and in this nation, but you can't do it alone. See, it's great if you make up your mind and say, I'm going to be that person, I'm going to make a difference, but you need the Holy Spirit. And that's really the point here. Mary was anointed here. She was full of the Spirit, and then she burst forth, and she says what we just read here. By the way, if you are like a nerd like me and you look at this, there's actually, this is kind of um, called one of the most revolutionary documents in our time because there's actually three revolutions. This is kind of for nerds if you want to um, write it down. But there's three revolutions in here. There's a moral, there's a social, and an economical revolution. And you can find those in verses 51, 52, and 53 if you just want to do some studying on your own. Anyway, what's the major takeaway here for us? The major takeaway is this. A major theme of the first two chapters in Luke is that God does what he says he will do. And we will see this over and over again as we study this in Luke, especially in the first two chapters. There's a promise and a promise fulfilled. Verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. So in other words, she stayed there almost all the way up to the birth of John, and this is where we're going to pick it up again next year, where John actually is being born, and we're going to look at it, and it's going to be lots of fun. But again, the major takeaway is that God does what he says he will do. We can know for sure that his promises are yes and amen. There's a promise in the New Testament that Paul talks about, and Paul says that if you believe, 
in him and call on his name, you will be saved. That's a promise. And it's a promise fulfilled, obviously, through Jesus when he went on the cross. See, the Christmas time is kind of about Jesus' birth, and we think about his birth, and we think about what he did throughout his lifetime, and that he went to the cross. And I, I know that we're studying Luke, and we're just in chapter one. Again, it's gonna take us forever to go all the way through. But my prayer is that, that we really, as we study this, for some of you guys who have not made a solid decision to say, you know what, God is everything in my life. It's the whole thing of, you know, Mary saying, I'm your servant. It's the whole thing of Luke saying, hey, these are the apostles, the servants, that you will walk out of here next year as we go through this and say, I am a servant, and that you totally understand what that means, that you are a slave to him, and that you do the will of the Father. That is my prayer, that you really understand what it means to be a Christian, because a Christian is not just a neat little term. It's a lifestyle, it's a commitment that will cost you everything. Amen? So I hope as we study this that that's going to become so clear and that all of us will really know who Jesus is and that we will know him more intimately. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you that your word is alive and that you're going to change and transform our lives even as we um, study this some more. Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit will come in this place. And as we're about to just talk for a moment and chat with our neighbors, that you would even in this moment minister to us and change us. We love you, Jesus. I pray blessings over Senior High, over 5979 Senior High. I pray that we will have an incredible Christmas time. I pray for no strife, no stress over this Christmas season, and I pray that we will remember what it's really all about, and that is your son, Jesus, and we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to ask you guys to